I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 400. And today I'm joined by my buddy, Josh Hilliard, for some New Year's resolutions and end-of-year reflections. And we're also going to get into some late-season firearm considerations with Luke Torkelson. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. It is New Year's Eve when this episode is dropping. So first and foremost, Happy New Year's. Hope you guys have got some fun plans in store for today. Or if you're listening to this later, I hope you did have a good time. Um, what I want to do today is is kind of have a two-parter. We've got my buddy Furter. Josh Furter Hilliard on the line here momentarily because we started the hunting season with Josh. The very first episode of my 2020 hunting season was with Josh talking about our upcoming hunt and some of our hopes and dreams for the year. So it seemed appropriate to end it with him as well. We're going to wrap up the year, talk about some of our highs, some of our lows, our toughest moments, our, our most proud moments. Josh is going to walk you through his season, which he hasn't shared yet here on the podcast this year. Um, so you're going to get to hear some cool stories there. I had an amazing, really cool experience with my son the other night. I uh, took him on his first track job for a deer, so I want to tell you guys about that story. Um, so that's part one. We're going to wrap up the year with some stories and some reflection on what, a, despite a lot of challenges in 2020, um, at least Josh and I uh, are able to find some silver linings with our hunting season that we wanted to talk you through. And then secondly, to wrap it up, slightly different take, but you know, this is that time of year when a lot of us, Josh and I included, are out there trying to kill does with our guns. There's a lot of people with late firearm seasons, late antlerless firearm seasons, stuff like that. And and I personally have not done a good enough job talking through firearm gear, firearm practice, firearm maintenance, that kind of stuff that's especially important come this time of year when the weather can get things kind of wonky. So I found, uh, I pulled in who I think is going to be a great resource to talk about this. His name is Luke Torkeldson. He works at Weatherby and he's going to walk us through a bunch of things to be thinking about when you're out there using a gun in cold, nasty weather. So how to make sure we're not surprised by any weird malfunctions because of the weather. Uh, how to take care of your gun immediately after coming in off of a nasty snowy hunt in January or December. Um, 
what to do when you're done for the season and putting away that gun to make sure that it stays in good working order and is ready to rock and roll when you pick it back up next year. So that's what we're going to cover in part two. It's a far-ranging conversation across those two, but uh, I think we'll give you a couple laughs and a couple helpful pieces of information to uh, close out your year. And the final thing I'll say is this is episode 400. 400. Um, that's pretty wild that this podcast has been going on for that long, for that many episodes. And the only reason that's the case is because all of you, because all of you have tuned in and listened and supported this show and supported me and what we're trying to do. And I want you to know that I don't take that for granted. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your time, your attention, your interest. And I can also tell you that I am ready to take it to another level this coming year. 2021 is going to be a really big one for Wired to Hunt. We've got some new things in store. We've got, I don't know, uh, we just got a lot of cool stuff coming up. And we are really going to try to take what we've built here with Wired to Hunt and, and scale it so that we're able to help more people, introduce more people to hunting, help more current hunters take their hunting to the next level, um, and do it in a way that's a whole lot of fun too. So stay tuned. It's going to be a great year. We're all going to grow together. We're going to have fun together. And I sure as hell hope we're going to kill some deer too. And with that, we'll wrap it up, send it to my conversation with Furter, and then soon after that, you'll hear from Luke. All right, man, Josh, thank you. Thank you for being here for this one. It seemed appropriate that you should be here for this podcast because something like four months ago, you and I recorded our first podcast of the 2020 deer hunting season in, I don't know, when it, first couple of days of September. And, and now it's the very last episode of the 2020 season. When this episode is airing, Josh, is actually New Year's Eve. So this is this is the New Year's Eve podcast that we're doing. Uh, so it seemed fitting that Furter be here at the beginning and the end. <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I can't believe that was four months ago already that we were out in Idaho. It's crazy, right? It's uh, no, it's been a wild ride. I'll tell you what. Looking back on that that first week of the season, I was just thinking about this a little bit ago. Um, even though during that hunt we were both a little frustrated with how the hunting was going at times, that was a damn good trip. Oh, that was a lot of fun. I was just looking back at pictures of uh, you know, fishing and some of the hunting, you know, some of the pictures we took. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't mind being back there right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's beautiful, the snow. I, yeah. uh, I was, I was thinking back on that, that episode and, um, and it got me thinking a lot about, I guess, between that episode and then what naturally happens at this time of year, which is, you know, it's New Year's Eve. We're thinking about the new year. It seemed like this would be a good chance to do some reflecting back on the season, on some things we learned, on you know some things that were memorable. Um, and I haven't gotten to have you on the show. I don't think you've been on the show since that since that trip. So figured we should uh, we should hear a little bit about your season. Um, yeah. So that said, do you remember that first one we did at the very beginning of the trip? It was, uh, I called it the 10 steps to the best season of your life. Do you remember that? Yep. 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 I remember that. So here's the quiz. And this is, this is going to be a test of, <laughs> of how well you pay attention. Do you remember any of the steps that were listed <laughs> <laughs> in that episode? Oh man. Um, probably one about like, 
having a positive mindset and trying to overcome adversity because you're going to face that at some point during the year. I, that's got to be one. <laughs> okay, I'll give you I'll give you credit um, for that. But no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh man, there's been a lot that's happened between now and then. I'm I'm uh, I, I remember our conversation, a lot of things we talked about, but I couldn't tell you the the, the ten things or whatever. Yeah, that's fair. I, I was going to ask you if you could remember any of them. If you could remember any any of those things that ended up actually helping you in 2020. <laughs> Do you think that anything that we talked about in that episode actually helped you over the course of the season? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. At, you know, probably um, not even thinking about them at the time, but I'm just ingrained in me that they they probably did help me. Um, just kind of thinking about back how my season went. You know, it was. Uh, it was starting off really slow and just keeping at it and trying to, to stay positive, I think definitely helped me, um, helped me to where I'm at right now with how I'm feeling about my season. How do you feel about your season? Oh man, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty darn good about it at this point. So, um, didn't, I didn't think I'd be saying that a couple of weeks ago. Um, just how things had gone up to that point, but things sort of changed in a, in a, in a short amount of time. That's hunting in a nutshell right there, isn't yep. it? It all yep, it, sure it is. all can change in just a matter of seconds. And so can you can you keep at it and stay focused and stay positive till that does? That's it's one of the toughest things to do every year, that's for sure. Yep. Yep, for sure. Well, let's let's just talk about that. Let's let me, let's hear the story of the season. Um I mean, it started off with a lot of optimism and excitement with our Idaho trip. Um Mm-hmm. and that first night you saw like 200 deer and like 19 different shooter <laughs> bucks or something and you're like oh it's gonna be a piece oh, of cake yeah. i'm 99 yeah, sure i'm gonna shoot a yeah, booner tomorrow <laughs> yeah you you set me up for failure i think that that <laughs> podcast you recorded because the one thing the the one thing i do remember from that podcast is you giving you know Hey, I'm a, how confident are you tomorrow that you're going to kill that buck? And I gave some <laughs> stupid number. If I, that, that's the one thing I could change about uh, my season. That might be it going back and, and putting a much lower <laughs> number on that. Cause I think, I think that jinxed us then for, uh, for the rest of that trip. Yeah. Things that, got interesting we, after that. Yeah. 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 But no, a lot of optimism, saw a ton of deer that first night had like a borderline shooter in range. Um, yeah, I saw like twenty different bucks or something like that, and um, it, it was it was a it was a wild night, and then uh, just kind of steadily headed down <laughs> after that. Yeah, we had our we had our challenges. Um, yep. We didn't end up filling our tags on that trip, which we recounted in the podcast we did at the end of it, which I think was something yep. about like the trials and tribulations of public land deer hunting. I think that's yep. what I called it. Um, so yep. fun trip, but it ended up being tough. And then what? It was it was Michigan from there on out for you, yeah. right? Yeah, I just I just hunted Michigan then the rest of the season. So we had a you know a few weeks when we got back there from Idaho to kind of regroup and lick our wounds and and uh, kind of get in the right mindset for for a Michigan season. And and uh, honestly, things just were slow here for me um, all all of October. Um, I, I didn't have very many uh, encounters at all. Uh, early season spent some time doing some of our uh field to fork hunts and and uh, got out with some new hunters and, and didn't really focus too much on myself early in the season and um i'm sure that kind of cut into some of my personal hunting time but you know started to get to mid to late october and started to be in the woods more and and uh man yeah just nothing was happening seeing seeing some does and seeing some young bucks and 
passed a couple of uh, a couple of different two two and a half year olds that were that were nice deer, but just weren't quite what I was looking for. And um, yeah, October was uh, October was a little rough in terms of just overall sighting seemed to be down too from what I'd been seeing at my the, the primary spot I hunt. How did the field the fork ones go? The field the fork mentor hunts. Did you do one of those? Two of those? How yeah, many? How many well, was it? We year? ended up. Yeah, we ended up just doing one. We had, we canceled a, a, one of them because of COVID. Um, just weren't able to do it with like some of the lodging things that we were hoping we could do. So we just did the one, um, the one event at the beginning of October, and that went really well. We got um, we got one of the hunters in that program their first buck. Um, so we did have a deer to kind of show some some of the new hunters how to you know field dress the animal, and we we skinned it out and quartered it there for people to see how to do that and just try to make them more comfortable with that whole experience. And, um, so that was great. No, that was, that was a really good event. And, um, yeah, I, I wish we could have done more this year for sure. Yeah. Do you think, uh, or do you, have you heard from anyone coming out of that? Did anyone keep, keep going out on their own, keep trying? Yeah. Yeah. I actually had a, I got a text from one of the, one of the, the participants. I think it was like the second day of gun season. I got a text from him with a, a picture of a doe that he shot and said, Hey, went out and, went out and uh, got it done all by myself. Um, nice. thanks for all the, thanks for all the help. So, um, that was cool to, to get that text and, and know that he stuck with it. And we gave him a, at least a little bit of a, um, you know, at least a little help and giving him the confidence to get out there by him, by himself. And, and he made it happen. And, um, still, I've, I've been talking with the guy I, uh, hunted with and we're trying to get him out here. Hopefully by the time this airs, we'll have uh, a deer down for him or at least get him out another time so nice still trying to make that happen where are you gonna take him uh to be determined <laughs> to be determined got got a couple leads on some places we may be able to get them to 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 go um have a opportunity at a hopefully a doe on uh on private land where we can still use a, a gun here in the late season well we should talk we should uh we should talk off air and maybe see if we can work the schedules out so you could bring them down to my other Michigan spot. Okay. I think, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, let's talk. I think, I think we could try to get them done. Get him one. Uh, I was going to try to get Dan out here again too mm. and get him another shot. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So as, as you know, Dan, or as you know, Josh, our mutual friend and now Dan Jajo, uh, yep. he, he did the, field the fork hunt last year that both you and i were at which is where we met him um yep and and that's what led me to inviting him out to the back 40 this year and he did all that work this summer and came out for the hunt opening weekend of gun season um and then ended up you know he got a shot at a buck but missed and that was you know an exciting experience but of, of course a letdown um sure. so yep. i'll tell you what i've been super just impressed with him though because he's been still getting after it trying hard still you know giving it a shot and and we're gonna try to link up after christmas and uh and and get him another chance so yeah maybe we can time all that to to get your your guy out there too yeah no that'd that'd be great that'd be great it's uh it's it's been it's been really cool to see examples like that you know, where these people have an interest and then get that chance to take the next step. It just seems yep. like every every time I've seen it where they get to go out with somebody and, and have that little extra guidance, especially if the shot's taken and they get to see what to do after that or how to gut or how to butcher a deer, it just makes such a big difference, um, which, 
you know, oh, as huge. as you know, which is which is why we're so gung ho about the Field of Fort program and everything that the National Deer Association and you guys are trying to do, um, which is ultimately why we decided to do what we're doing with the Back Forty. So I'm, uh, I just don't think that, you know doing the stuff that you and I do and that everyone listens does, which is get to deer hunt a lot and have a great time with it and have it be a part of your life. We're just not going to be able to have that around if hunting numbers continue to plummet. And uh, we've got to find ways to get new folks out there and introduce people to this and, and, and make sure that they have the opportunity to see what a great thing this can be, what a great lifestyle this can be, what a great activity this can be, what a great way to feed your family this can be. Um, and yeah. and yep. feel the pro field the fort program it's it's doing that better than anything i've seen so yeah no and, and hey man can't can't thank you guys and media enough for the for the for the donation and and uh we're definitely going to make sure we put it to good use and and try to introduce as many new people as as we can um you know it takes places like that to uh to to be able to have the resources and and um you know places to to, to introduce new people and man we're, we're thrilled so thank you guys well yeah you um you know you're welcome to, to everyone at the organization and it, you know out of conversations that we've that we've had both yourself and and Nick and Matt and everyone from the National Deer Association, I've heard from you guys that um, you know one of the challenges has always been like finding good places to do these events. Right? You can do yep. public land, yep. and that's great, but you know it's it's not nearly as guaranteed of a of a good opportunity to see deer actually get a shot at deer as opposed to a private piece that's managed and and you know set up nicely for new hunters. Yeah. So you know when we were thinking about what are we going to do with this thing? Um, it just seemed like, it just seemed like it would be a shame to, to have this piece of property and then, you know, do everything we're trying to do and then have it turn into condos or someone building yeah. a housing complex on, on it or something. So, you know, when we originally purchased the property, we knew like we have to, we're going to give it away. We're not going to keep this thing for us forever. We're going to, we're going to use it to educate and help new people. We're going to tell this story. We're going to improve it as much as we can. And then we're going to pass it on to someone in some way. And, you know, and I guess I want to provide a little more context here because um, after we announced the plan earlier this, you know, earlier this month explaining what we were doing, I got a decent, not a ton, but a handful of, of comments where people felt um, upset or, or misled that we weren't doing like a sweepstakes. Some people thought that we were doing a sweepstakes where, you know, a listener or a fan was going to win the property. Um, and so I want to make it clear to people that, you know, that was never our intention to mislead people into thinking that was the case. What we were doing was... From the beginning, we, we wanted to announce two things. Number one, we announced we were doing the hunt giveaway. That was a sweepstake. So we were giving away a hunt with me and Steve on the property. So that was the competition, not the competition, but that was the giveaway sign-up that people gave us their email and their information for. Um, and Dane Acevedo won that, and he came out and hunted with us in November this year. There was never a sweepstakes thing for the property. Uh, we did say that we were giving the property away, but we just simply couldn't provide all the details at that point when we announced everything because you know, it, it is a long process to figure out you know, exactly how to be able to give this to an organization and how to have a plan in place to make sure that the right things are done with it. Like that took a long time, a lot of process there. So, you know, we shared as soon as we could share the plan. Um, and, and it's a plan that, 
I think is really, really good for the larger hunting community. It's good for everyone. It's good for new hunters. It's good for the future of this thing because now this property is not going to be used just by me and a couple friends or me and my dad or, or whoever. It's not going to be used just by Steve and Giannis. It's going to be something that, you know, through the stewardship of the National Deer Association is going to open the doors to this property to, to many new hunters. And, and not just to hunt, but actually to come out there in the spring and, and learn about deer and learn about habitat and to come out in August and do some work and learn about habitat management and native prairies and wetland species and all this kind of stuff that's that's hard to learn about unless you've got a great classroom. Well, the Back 40 can be that great classroom for dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Um, and then actually take some people out for hunts too. And, and that's, it's just something that we're really excited about because it's going to let the mission of the back 40 continue on. It's not just a two year thing. Now this is something that, you know, people can benefit from this thing for a long time. And, and I'm, I don't know, I'm just genuinely thrilled and and really confident that this is the right thing to do. And, and a lot of people are going to benefit from it. And we're, we're also really excited. I don't know if you know this, Josh, I think you know this. Um, but we've, we've put a plan in place to continue, documenting the property in some different ways next year. Um, and we're actually going to have an opportunity for people to sign up or sign. I don't know if sign up's the right word. The, the, the official legal documentation will be announced sometime in 2021. So don't quote me on this cause we're still getting all that fine print figured out. But in, in generalities, what we're basically going to do is have an opportunity for people that are part of the mediator community, listeners, of the podcast and everything. You'll be able to sign up, to possibly win a chance to come and be a part of one of these mentorship events next year. So we're going to give away the chance for someone to come to the property. I think we're trying to have it be like a winner and a guest maybe um, that's still being sorted out, but a winner and a guest or something like that is going to be able to come out to the property with us. We're going to do a series of educational events and then an opportunity to come out in the fall and, and have a mentored hunt out here, just like what Dan got to experience and, and what Dane, the hunt winner got to experience. We're going to do something like that for somebody else. Um, as well as a bunch of other people probably that will just be here as part of the local field, the fort programs that, that you guys put on. Um, so again, we want to share this place. We want people to get a chance to to learn from and experience it. And and that's a long winded way of me saying I'm I'm really excited. So good stuff ahead for the back forty, and and hopefully good things for for a lot of new hunters too. Yeah, we're we're, we're really looking forward to seeing where all this goes, and and like you said, uh, being able to showcase it and, and let other people see it and and show what we can do on it and um, get some new people out there. So yeah, we're we're super excited and. And just really looking forward to seeing where this all goes. Yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff, man. So so back to your season yeah. though. Your yeah, yep. Your early season was kind of taken over with planning and executing on your field yep. to fork hunt, and then uh, October goes along, and you're hunting some public land. I remember, and then you're also hunting yeah, your main hunt, spot. Yep, yep. So hunting some public land. I've 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 had a, a antlerless tag here for the unit I'm in, uh, the DMU. Um, for public land for a number of years and I just have never filled it. You know, I, I spend a lot of time in the early season, you know, trying to maybe get on a, trying to pattern a buck or something at some of my primary spots and just get caught up in that and just don't spend as much time trying to fill that tag as I should. And decided I was going to try to give a couple of a good hunts early in the year to try to fill that tag and had one night where, um, I'd set up and had two does come out of this swamp and into this point of timber and, 
man, I needed her to take like one more step. And, um, this, this little peninsula, there was a ladder stand at, uh, in it. And like last year, there's a ladder stand at the end of this point. And I swear she came into those, that little patch of timber there and look, was starting to look straight up in the trees. <laughs> and I was, I was maybe 20 yards, maybe down from that. And they just knew something was up and, um, I needed about one more step and, and what I had a, like a, a 10, 15 yard shot, something like that. And, uh, uh they buggered out of there and, and, uh, that was that. I didn't, I didn't have another encounter in that spot. I tried going back there maybe once or twice more, but nothing happened. So close, but no cigar there. And, and, uh, that was, I guess maybe towards the end of October when, when that encounter happened. And, uh, then I really should focus to trying to, trying to get on a, a good buck down at my, um, down my primary spot that I hunt of, uh, private land. So it's, it's a 40 acre spot, right? Your, your yep, main, this little forty-acre spot. Yep. Your main chunk. Yeah. Uh, give yep. me the give me the cliff notes. What I, what was what are the high notes there as far as like the memorable things that happened? Because it seemed like it was a little tougher this year than previous years. Um, yeah. What yeah. was what yep. was the story there? What are the highlights? Yeah, I mean the memorable stuff was that there was not very much memorable stuff, um, which was different than the year before. I'd I'd seen quite a bit of mature buck activity on that farm um <clears throat> early and often like i first night i ever hunted it i had a i had a a shooter buck at at 25 yards but i i he was behind some thick stuff and walked straight away from me i never had a a good opportunity and it was just like it seemed like every time i was out there something was happening um or at least there was you know some excitement and this year was you know i saw a lot of does um some young bucks um but man it just it was not there wasn't hardly any sign in the woods up there. Um, just it was just very interesting. I was running trail cameras, wasn't getting much on. I had, I had a bunch of pictures like early, um, like late August, early September, and I just really, um, really kind of shut off. Um, so I, I don't know what was going on out there, um, but it was like that really all the way through, um, even even the the first couple weeks of November. Um, I the the first buck, the first mature buck I saw out there was uh, November 13th. I remember it was Friday the 13th. Um, and, uh, kind of mumbled up an opportunity and, and just, uh, spooked that deer. And, and, um, that was that. So I was, you know, two days away from gun season. That was really the only good encounter I had the entire, you know, first 13 days of November. And I'd been out quite a bit. Um, you know, again, some, some young bucks and, and passed, a, a, a I think what would be a, a, a good deer next year, um, saw one shooter like way off, like a couple hundred yards, like two neighbors properties over that I could see in a field. Um, but man, yeah, just, it was a weird year, weird year out there. Just not much happening. All right. I, I, I want to cover for both you and I, two things, toughest moment of your season and the best moment of your season. I'll, I'll answer mm-hmm. mine first and explain that. And then I'll let you, you share whatever you want from yours. And I, and I think yep. I know where your highest moment is. So I'm setting you up here to, <laughs> to share your high moment. But um, but my toughest moment would have been right around the same time when you just described your Friday the 13th encounter. I think mine was Thursday the 12th, which mm-hmm. is the much discussed miss of Turan. When I you know had been grinding it out all season and having all these close calls, couldn't get a shot, couldn't get a shot. And then I finally have him coming into range 
he gets into that thick cover and I felt this pressure to, to, to force a shot and I made a stupid mistake and took a shot I just shouldn't have and uh, and I missed him. That was definitely my low point of the season, I think. Um, yeah, I got. I mean, like, without a question, that was my low point of the season. Um, but I, I will tell you, it, it it did give me a chance to practice what I preach, which which I discussed in episode uh, whatever it was when we did the ten steps to the best su- uh, season of your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to mm-hmm. I had to execute on one of those things, which was uh, control what you can and relax on what you can't. And so in that moment, I remember it was it was really shitty, and I was very upset after it. And then later that day, I said, "All right, man." you it happened like you can't control that anymore so there's no point like kicking yourself about it or hating yourself for it or um stressing about it anymore it happened all you can do is is figure out where to go from here and so i'm pretty proud of myself for turning that around pretty quick and i kept at it and uh and you know was able to turn things around later in the year um if i look back on my season and try to think about what my highest points were um i've got 3 of them um, one was when I ended up killing Tran, uh, 10 days later. So that was an obvious high point culmination of three years. And, you know, the, it, it actually, well, I guess it wasn't the next hunt, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely a clear outcome of being able to turn around and keep at it and adapt and, and push on. So I was, I was, I was happy about how that all came together. But then the other two high points were related to, oh, you know what? I've got another low point. I would say that another low point, maybe even worse, honestly, now that I think about it, um, the Tran miss was a major low point, but I probably felt even crappier when Dan missed his deer on when I was mentoring mm-hmm. him. I felt so horrible about that whole situation, about you know just especially because I thought after the shot, I swear I saw him go down once he got into the timber. And and I, I even looking back on the footage, you can see he gets in the timber and then it looks like he falls down. And that's that was the thing I remember hmm. seeing in my binos. But it almost looks like there's like a big berm. He went over a berm and underneath it, and it almost looks like he does like trip and fall. Um, but but obviously, you know, after everything, you well, know, no blood, no nothing, it was not. But I... I feel the worst about the fact that after the shot, he was kept saying, like, I'm nervous about the shot. I'm not sure about the shot. And I was like, you got him. You got him. And I was so pumped. And I was trying to get him excited. And like, you know, I was so thrilled for him and I was hyping him up and then ended up getting his hopes up. So when it all came down the way it did, I just felt super bad, super bad. And just, you know, just, I didn't want that to be something that would, detract from him wanting to keep doing it you know like mm-hmm. yep. when you're mentoring someone like that and even before the hunt the, one of the things he was most worried about was like gosh i just want to make sure i get a good shot i don't want to wound something i don't want to miss something and then the, his greatest fear ends up you know happening he misses a deer um my greatest fear was like i don't want this thing to happen and then it turn him away from wanting to hunt again in the future i don't want him to have such a negative experience that he won't keep trying so that was that was that was a low point but Fast forward uh, to what then I'm talking about the things I'm excited about and proud about. I was proud about me getting the shot at Tram, but then back to helping someone else out. Super, super high point of the year was getting to uh, help my dad get his first deer with a crossbow. Yeah, that, that was awesome. 
that was that was such a great experience and such a great memory for us um and just seeing how excited he was for that deer i love getting to watch that video now i can like relive that and then my son really likes watching he always <laughs> wants to see grandpa's buck so we watch that video and and i love when my dad's like and you know how how dad is with like points he's like he's like oh yeah that's a that's a nice six pointer right mark that's a nice six oh, pointer yeah, yeah, <laughs> i'm yeah. like yeah dad yeah. that's a great six pointer oh <laughs> uh, just you know just uh dad being dad and he was so excited the whole way and, and me too and um man having that, that come together you guys have that picture you guys have uh, that was at the end of the episode and i've seen you you know both of you guys at that with that deer that that's such an awesome picture that yeah that should be in a frame in, in both of your guys' houses that was uh that yeah. was, that's a great memory yeah i agree that's uh it's a lifer life lister right there um which brings me to the final high point which just happened last night which is uh last night i killed a doe and and so last night when people listen to this, this would be about two weeks ago, but I killed a doe and, um, I was able to track her and find her pretty close. And it was a situation where it was early enough that I could get my son Everett, who's two and take him out to go and, and try to recover it for himself. So I went and got Everett, brought him out. Um, it was just a good situation. We didn't have to go too far. And, um, it was the coolest thing, man. He, as you know, he's, super amped on everything hunting he wants to watch all the hunting sh- every night like he doesn't want to watch sesame street or mickey mouse or something he wants to watch chasing november or back 40 <laughs> or some deer hunting show and then he will like, every day his main thing is he's hunting he's hunting he's got two fake yep. guns yep. and he's got a fake bow and arrow and he's constantly playing out different hunting scenes like all day he's this kind of thing he's doing so he finally got to go out in his first real track job and we got him out there and he was like super excited. As soon as I got out of the uh, UTV, I turned on the flashlight, got a headlamp on him. And first thing he says, dad, where's the blood? Dad, where's the blood? <laughs> and, uh, and so I get him on the trail and then right away like, he starts seeing it and he's like, look, look, there's more. And, and, and he, he is honestly better at tracking blood than I am, dude. <laughs> he's Well, I mean, that, that's not too hard to, you don't have the bar set very high on a blood track. Yes, yes, I know. Admittedly, <laughs> he's not he's not <laughs> colorblind, so he's got that going for him, which I do not have going for me. Um, but it got me really excited for future future track jobs because he can see it so much better than me. Like honestly, this two year old was like, "There's some, there's some," and I wasn't seeing it. <laughs> um, so we uh, we tracked the deer back to where I had left her, and. Um, and it was the first, you know, dead deer he'd seen out in the woods. First time he's ever been like out walking around the woods after dark too, you know? So oh, there's yeah. a whole bunch of yep. things. Like, is he going to be scared of the dark out here? Is he going to be scared of seeing this dead deer on the ground? And, and everything, he was just like a pro. He was just excited. Wasn't scared. When he saw the deer, he was so excited, like yelling in excitement and then wanting to touch her and look at her. And, and then he's like, dead let's take the deer meat out. Can we take the deer meat out? <laughs> so I wasn't, I wasn't going to gut the deer in front of him. I was worried like maybe that's too soon to do that. So my idea was to drag the deer, get the deer into the UTV and then uh, bring Everett back and then come out there myself later and gut her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I couldn't lift her up into the Can-Am. She was just big, big deer full of all the guts and stuff. I was like, I can't, I can't pick her up. Uh, maybe I could have forced it, but I, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to gut her and make this easier. And so I had Everett sit up at the front of the deer, like up by the head. 
so he wouldn't see too much gory stuff. And the whole time, he's like, Daddy, I want to see. Daddy, I want to see. Show me the deer oh, meat, Daddy. Man. And so he sat up there, and then he kept standing up and trying to like walk towards the back and see what's going on. Um, and he saw a little, but uh, but at, sure. you know, at no point did he get like grossed out or worried. I kept saying, I was like, hey, if you don't like this, we can stop. I'll take you home. Um, yep. You know, you let dad know, you let daddy know if you're cold or anything. And that's the whole time he was just, just wanted to be a part of it, wanted to see, wanted to touch, wanted to help. He helped me drag it. He helped me, quote unquote, lift her up into the UTV <laughs> and all that stuff. It was just, oh, that's great. It was the coolest that's thing. Great. He was, he was just so into it and, uh, came home and had to show mom the pictures and he, you know, he wanted a picture of him holding the deer's head like daddy does with a buck. Yeah. <laughs> so we did all that and it's just, uh, oh man. oh man, it's got me so excited for the future with him. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. It was great. And then, uh, you know, we do this thing with, uh, elf on the shelf, you know, that Christmas deal that a lot of people uh, do. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. And yep. so, so our elf's name is Eddie. And so this morning when Everett woke up, he has to go look for Eddie the elf in the morning and he went into the living room and then a blood trail began and then he followed the blood <laughs> he he followed the blood trail to the table where Eddie the elf was gutting a doe. Oh, <laughs> so I had a little deer figurine flipped upside down and a knife, a oh, fake knife great. taped to Eddie's hand and he was working on the deer and ever came running. I was like, Oh look, Eddie's gutting a doe too. <laughs> Getting the deer meat. Uh huh. Oh, so, that's great. That's great. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was. I was ecstatic. I was. I was really riding high last night after all that. So that those are my three highs. Some 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 big ones there. So now now it's your turn. Yeah. Lowest moment. Highest moment. All right. Yeah. I mean, lowest moment would be a day after your lowest moment. Um, yeah. I think I even texted you like in our group chat I said oh don't worry i'll screw up or something tomorrow to to make you feel better or something like that <laughs> just just joking around and sure enough you know, you know one of the first deer i see in the morning is, is a good buck and just totally screwed that whole situation up just uh just dumb and uh so yeah i i, I uh i stepped in and, and helped take some of the uh some of the pain off you and put it all on me and um that was my lowest moment that friday the 13th and uh no, are you are, again, you, are like, you are you willing to ex- like how you can you describe it all how you well, screwed yeah, up yeah yeah I'll, uh, i haven't i haven't said anything to anybody about this you don't need to you, so you don't not? need to, you don't need to, we can cut this out you don't need to but if no, you want I'll, to I'm, I'm, i'd be happy to it'd be a good therapeutic uh exercise i think here but i i had a, a very similar situation actually had a had a, a nice buck come in from um an area where I didn't think he would come from and he's and just, I had to get kind of all twisted around and, and my saddle to, to try to get a shot. And he was going through my really the only good shooting lane that I had. And, um, I just rushed a shot and I, there was a, there was some brush in, in the way that I had, had not seen. And, and, um, my arrow deflected off of it and it, it deflected and, and missed behind him. Um, the, the arrow ended up like behind a tree. I couldn't even see it um, from where I was um, you know, set up. So had a pretty good deflection there. And, and um, that deer trotted off and looked back at me and I just saw my season, you know, trotting out of my life again. Right. I mean, just yeah. up over the hill. And, and um, I thought that was that, you know, where we're at in Michigan, we don't get too many opportunities at, at, um, you know, mature deer. Um, they're few and far between. 
And, um, yeah, you know, so just, how was, uh, how was had, the process coping with that? Oh my God, it's horrible. Cause, um, of course I had a, a miss last year too. So just like, I, I need to, I need to really kill a doe with my bow and just kind of get some of that confidence back. Um, cause I, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I'm, I'm still not a little shaken with, with the whole bow and sit in the backyard and shoot and, and feel super confident with it. And, and, um, I just got to get that back. I, I don't know what's going on with me. So definitely some, some things to still work on here in the off season and try to get some of that confidence back. Um, yeah. I don't know, but, um, yeah, man. So I just like, I was just sitting there. I was planning on sitting all day and this happened like first thing in the morning, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes after first light. And I was like, oh, my God. So I just, like, had to sit there all morning. Just I was just replaying that over in my head again and again and again. And, and um, you know, it was another slow morning. Saw a couple does and, and fawns after that. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting down. I'm going to go back to the truck. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to have some lunch, get my wits about me. And I went back out that sat- that afternoon. And, and again, no luck. So I, just, I was just down. I, I think I hunted the morning that next day is the, the day before gun season. Actually, I don't even think I hunted that next morning. I think it's like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to regroup and get get mentally better. And and uh, so, uh, gun opening day, gun season rolled around. Um, went back out to that general area again. Didn't see anything like the first two days of gun season. Just a uh, couple spikes, couple couple does, and that area gets a lot of hunting pressure. And and there was some, there was you know we had that really bad windstorm on the fifteenth. Oh yeah, um, man. I remember that. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was dead um, that morning. Very few shots. Um, I saw two trees come down. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting out of here. This like one was like within 50 yards, and he was like, all right, this is probably not uh not safe. So I hunted yeah. a couple hours that morning and then bailed, and and then uh, the next couple of days, the same kind of story with just without the weather, just slow. Heard quite a few gunshots, but just nothing was really moving. Um, nothing was really getting pushed around, and and uh man i was just um i remember it was the 18th i was driving down my my spot i'm running late i had a bunch of work to get done that took me longer than i thought it would and i'm driving down and i called you and i said like, yeah i don't know i'm thinking about still hunting through these these pines this bedding area it's you know, a few days after gun season they may be in there and i'm running late i don't have time to go hang a set um windows wrong for the, this little ground blind that i wanted to sit and uh, without saying, you basically said you're an idiot. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you some some credit for uh, what happened because I, I ended up just going to sit that ground blind. And, you know, the wind was supposed to be like kind of like a southwest, and it was definitely not southwest. It was south, and that was I could have got away with the southwest. Um, but once I got in the blind, it had kind of switched up and. And I was like, geez, this is terrible. I'm blowing like right into this, these pines, but describe describe this, describe the setup a little bit more before you continue. Because I think one question that, that a lot of people would have is, all right, you're hunting a 40 acre piece and you've hunted, you've hunted a decent amount. Um, and you talked about how there's a lot of hunting pressure all around. So a lot of people struggle in situations like that. So, so what I want to know is, you know, how, how did you manage to put yourself in a position where you know, yep. a week earlier, you got a shot of a mature buck on a 40 acre piece mm-hmm. surrounded by lots of hunters. And now yep. on the 18th, you're back in there again and, and you're about to tell me something good's going to happen. Uh, how did, how did, what's the setup? Where'd you find a mature buck in this kind of situation on a little piece yeah. of property? Yeah. 
yeah, it's a little piece of property. Um, it, it's a really kind of an interesting spot. Um, it's a little piece of property and the, the house on the property is like back towards the back of the property of this 40 acres on, on top of this little ridge and it falls off into this creek bottom. And so there's this two lane, you know, basically their driveway that cuts all the way, kind of winds around all the way through this property. Um, and it's a bunch of, it's just real open timber is really all it is, um, with some, some ridges and stuff, some little rolling hills in it, um, that breaks up the topography a little bit. Um, but it's really just a big open woods with a bunch of hickories and a few oaks. And then in the, in the, what would that be? The Northwest corner is this heavily, um, well, I shouldn't say heavily, but it's a, it's a, about an eight to 10 acre patch of like pines and conifers that the landowner planted, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, just real thick, nasty um, bedding stuff that I think a lot of the deer just pile into because um, it's the best security cover around. Um, and, and really, that's where I focus the majority of my uh, hunting is is on the outskirts of the, that little chunk of pines. That seems to be where all the activity is. Um, so I think... Um, it hadn't this this general section has not or this general property has not been hunted much in the past um so i, I think they're used to some human disturbance in there with you know cars going in and out all the way through the property you know the 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 landowner walks their dog along the along the road and and uh, the lanes so I, I think they're used to a certain amount of, of human um you know presence um i just try to still be really careful and and calculated about how i get in there and out of there and when i'm hunting it because it it can get blown up really quick just being a small little property like that yeah i mean you you have been careful i remember a couple times during the rut and like we're all on the group text exchanging text messages of where are you going what are you doing yeah there were some days that you weren't even hunting on your best spot and and we're like what are you doing man but yeah. you know the fact that there's really just w- one little courier that's your very best right. of the best you've had and, to and be I, careful and this 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 early november was so weird with the weather i mean it was so hot um relatively speaking for like november and we we had so many days of the same like south southwest winds that yeah. is, it's really difficult to hunt that property in that wind um like if like this day, like if it was a if it was bow season, I probably would have not have gone down there to 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 hunt that that piece. But um, given that it was gun season, I was being a little bit more, I don't know, uh, not as conservative as I would have been. I was just like, you know what, I need I need to be in there and hunting it. You never know during gun season who's pushing stuff around and what's happening, and yeah. um, you know, throw caution to the wind a little bit. And I uh, and I, I ended up. Sorry, uh, I was just going to add one more piece, which was I remember on that phone call you you were pretty down and kind of frustrated with oh, stuff, yeah, yeah. and and you were talking about like just walking through the pines, still hunting it and stuff, and I, I think I think what I remember telling you was kind of what ended up helping me kill a deer later, which was, you know, sometimes you just gotta like, are there still does there? And you said yes. Mm-hmm. Like, are you still seeing a lot of does moving through? And you said yes. Like, yes. okay, well then yep. you haven't overpressured that chunk of cover too much yet then and right now right these bucks could be all over the place if you've got the does there just keep hammering that best place until yep. either a buck does come through or the does tell you that you've pressured it too much um yep. 
because I remember you thinking like maybe I've been mucking with up mucking it up too much. And and when you said that you were still seeing all those does, I was like, man, you just got to keep on, just keep doing the right thing, and then finally you'll get yep. lucky. Which is the thing I kept having to tell myself, and it kind of worked out. But that's that's what you end up doing. You end up going to that corner where you thought you'd see the yeah. most does, right? Yep, exactly. That's exactly what happened. I ended up going to that. Um, that same spot, little ground blind I'd sat opening, uh, I guess it was not opening day. I sat at the second, third day of gun season. Um, and I just, I'm going back and going back there and we'll see what happens. And, and, uh, man, I wasn't set up for more than 20, 30 minutes. And I saw a spike come out of the pines and go up over the, the, uh, the lane. And he was, there's a food plot in the neighbors. I was kind of set up between my, um, the bedding on, on my property and then the, the food plot on the neighbors almost a, in a straight line. And that's where that buck was headed. Um, and a couple minutes later, I heard crunch, crunch, crunch coming back from the other way. It's like, oh, it's probably deer coming back. Something spooked him. And I look out and I just see tines. Um, I go, oh, that's a shooter. And I just kind of went into autopilot mode. I couldn't even tell you so everything. I, had. I don't even remember if I stopped him or what, but, um, <laughs> He stopped and, and, uh, I shot and, um, I hit him, hit him a little back and he kind of bounded into the, the, um, kind of the first row of pines there and started walking down back in my direction and gave me a little spot where I could squeeze one more off at him. And, and I ended up dropping him right there, right in the pines and, and, uh, didn't have any blood tracking to do, which was nice. So that was a, uh, that was definitely the high. That's the first buck in Michigan I've killed in a number of years and, and by far my best Michigan buck. And man, that, uh, like I said, can all change in a second and ter- totally, uh, changed how my outlook was on, on my season. Yeah. So after, so, so that all happened, did, so, so sometimes after you have like a conclusion like that, where, where the season ends in one way or another, um, you're able to see other things that led up to that in a different way or more clearly. Mm -hmm. So when you look back on your season now, after you had that happy ending, um, do you look back and say, Oh, you know what? I did do some things right that I'm proud of. Or, you know, even though it was tough all up until that moment, you know, actually I was doing something that I can learn from. Uh, or I guess what I'm trying to say is when you look back on your season, what are you most proud of or what can you point to as being like, Oh yeah, this was, I was doing this right. Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, that's a good question. And I, I've thought about that a little bit and, you know, not even just this season, but like for the last several years, it's kind of really like, um, doing the right things and, and making sure that I'm preparing right and all that kind of stuff, because it, it can, you know, it can change in, in a second. And, and I think in past years, I, I may have been down and maybe not as hunted as much and, and, um, you know, I, I think the one thing that I did do right on that piece was, you know, for the most part, being somewhat conservative on it and not hunting it in, in bad conditions, not being dumb with my access, um, you know, making sure the deer were still comfortable around there, um, you know, not walking all over it and checking trail cameras. It's it's so easy to to want to go check trail, trail cameras, but I was, I was very cautious about that. Maybe too cautious. I wish I would maybe do it a little bit more, have a little bit more like know valuable recent information um but i just i haven't done that um so i think that's one thing that i I very have been very smart about limiting my my pressure on that property um to where i I haven't ran a bunch of deer out of there 
Yeah. Uh, it certainly seemed to make a difference. I mean, the fact that you yeah. still had a bunch of deer that are hanging out there three, four days in the gun season, uh, yep. that was, that was key. That was key. And, and daylight active and that were daylight active too. I mean, yeah. that was like three thirty, I think three forty five, something like that when I shot that deer. Yeah. So, I mean, it was like early. well before shooting light. I remember um, getting the phone call from you. At, we talked like a few hours earlier and then you're calling yeah. me again and it's like four o'clock or something like yeah. that. And I'm like, man, he, this phone call, I remember seeing the phone and I was like playing with the kids and I saw the phone call come through and I thought one of two things, either number one, he just shot a buck and he's calling me cause he shot a buck or number two <laughs> or number two, he was so like frustrated. He decided to call off the hunt completely and, and turned around and <laughs> like he's well, either. That, and that- that may have been me in the past, you know, that, that may have been what I've done in the past. Like, screw it. Uh, you know, I'm not going in there. Wind's bad yeah. and just bailed. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, it, it was one of those things where, yeah, I've been smart about it. Maybe that wasn't the smartest spot to be sitting that day with that wind. But I think because I had been smart other times of, of the year, I think that was, that ultimately benefited me for that particular hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So, funny how it all works out sometimes yeah. like that um yeah yeah man that's awesome that's uh yeah that's, that was definitely my uh that was definitely my high and then i did have another you know, really awesome hunt this past weekend shot i, I ended up filling my public land uh antlerless tag um on a on a fun little hunt with some buddies that we you know went and bumped around a little bit of, uh, a few bedding areas on some public and some real marshy stuff we had waders on we're we're wading through like waist deep stuff and getting to some of these little islands and, and pockets of bedding and and uh man it was a lot of fun we had a we had a blast um and ended up getting lucky and filling my doe tag uh midday um the last day of muzzleloader season so that was a lot of fun did anybody else see any deer were you the only one to see no, those that was those are the only that was the only deer we saw the whole day wow. <laughs> it was, it was, and and it wasn't even any of our group that pushed that deer we had just gotten set up and they were taking a, we had like a boat. And so they took the boat around the other side. There's actually a couple of trappers that pulled up onto this little, um, marshy area where there were some, I think some muskrat dens that they were going to set some traps on. They started, you know, get, they got their axes out and hacking down some stuff. And, uh, I, I guess there was two, I only saw one, um, but they popped out right there and, and man, it was crazy to see where they were bedded at. Like, um, you had to have, water access to to get in there to see them and they were sitting there where they could see everything coming in um so it's it's pretty pretty cool to see where they came from and how they were using that little piece um at this point in the year when there's been so much pressure on them did those trappers did you talk to them afterwards did you scare the crap out of them after (laughs) shooting a deer i probably probably did i probably did scare them but i knew right where they were and it wasn't it wasn't in their direction so it all worked out well but um, we had ran into them at the boat launch and, and, uh, we just kind of told them we were going to be out there and they told us to, the same. And, and so they, they, we had just dropped off, um, myself and one of the other guys, uh, right by them where they were. So they knew we were up in there. So it was, it was all good, but I'm sure they, uh, I'm sure they needed to check their underwear after that. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's sweet. dude. But, it must've been a chore getting her out of there. Did you have to, uh, float her out in the waders or did you throw her in the canoe? No, it was actually, we, yeah, we put her right in the boat. We, killed her in, the, in like the edge of the timber in the marsh and and uh just drug her to the we could drive the boat right up to the that marshy stuff and and loaded her in and and got her out pretty easily so um it was a it was a pretty good pretty good setup but you know like like you were talking about with everett like man having 
now have Wade see a couple of deer. Um, he's, he's, I think he's going to love it, man. He's, um, I got that doe hanging in the garage right now. And every time someone goes in the garage, doe, doe, <laughs> um, just imitates like that doe and then, you know, doe and then buck. And so he's, he's all about it and, and he'll touch the deer and, and check them out. And everything to him right now is no, and he gets like very animated about it. But like, <laughs> I think a lot of times his no means yes. And so he's just, no, 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 no. He's just like, you want to touch it? No, no, no. But then he touches it. Right. Like, so he's just like loving it. And, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, I think he's going to be very much like Everett and wanting to go on track jobs and do all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's, it's the best. It is the best. Yep. Yep. Oh man. Um, so let's let's wrap up with this. It's uh, New Year's Eve when this is coming out. So let's uh, let's lay out a New Year's resolution for each one of us. Okay. Uh, you have anything in mind? I've, I had I had something that I was thinking about. So maybe I can go first and give you a second. Yeah, um, go go for it. I think for me, my New Year's resolution um, is to practice what I preach. This what I preached a lot this year. And that the past couple of years I've been trying to do better at, but I, I think next year it's going to be harder to do, which is I want to keep up the mentorship. I don't want it to be a couple of years and done type of thing. Even though mm-hmm. the back 40 is going to be wrapping up next year, um, I want to make sure to find a way to fit that into my schedule. So got to hold me accountable next year, Josh. I need to mentor I need to mentor two hunters at least next year. So I know I'm going to do at least one on the back 40 through the program that we're putting together, but I need to do at least one more at a minimum, if not more. So that's going to be my New Year's resolution. Um, Do that, help some more people out, share those experiences. Um, I got to make sure I keep, I got to keep that up. So that's going to be mine. Um, Yeah, that's, that's, that's my goal. I can, I can, I can say that, you know, looking back on this past year, like last year, I think my resolution was to get better at handling, um, you know, moment of truth shots and then also to become more adaptable in my hunting style. And mm-hmm. and I sort of achieved those. I, I, I definitely got way more like adaptable, mobile. I, I, I If I'm proud of myself for anything this past year, it was that I was more aggressive and mobile and and quick to adapt to change than I've ever been by a long shot. So that year or this this year, that's the big thing I'm proud of. The moment of truth thing, I've had my win. I've had my good and my bad. I missed Tran, uh, but I got a good shot with my bow at the drop time buck on the back forty, and then killed two deer with my gun now, um, which both went pretty decent. So. so I'm going to give myself a B on that and an A on being adaptable. And I need to get an A plus on mentorship next year. That's, that's my end of year assessment there. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, a couple, couple of resolutions for 2021. I, I've got a few things I want to make sure I do. Uh, one similar to you is, is keep up the mentorship. Um, I want to make sure I'm getting people out. And I, I, I've, I've taken several people out over the last couple of years. Um, through our programs. And um, I actually have not sat with anybody who's killed a deer yet. So I'd really like to um, get a hunter their first year um, being their personal mentor. So that, that would be awesome. Um, so I need to need to make sure I'm doing the things I need to do there to make that happen. Um, two, I need to get my mental game right with my bow. Um, whether that's changing some, uh, maybe it's a release, maybe it's, um, 
some other aspect of my shooting. I need, I need to get that figured out and really dive into that and, um, see what's going on there. Um, and number three, I'd like to, I'd like to kind of force myself to, to maybe make a few, um, kind of put together a little bit more of a, of a habitat plan for, um, this little chunk of property that I hunt that little 40 acres, the landowner has said I can do some, some minor improvements to it. So I'd like to, um, you know, kind of challenge myself to, to think outside of the box there and not really having a ton of tools at, at my disposal of, in terms of like equipment and stuff like that, but, you know, using a chainsaw, use, use some hand spreaders, um, do a little bit of a, maybe a small food plot, carve in a small food plot or, or do some sort of habitat improvement project down, um, at that place and, and make it, uh, a little bit better, um, on the habitat side of things. Nice. I love it. So, yeah. Well, you got your, uh, you got your work cut out for you, buddy. I do. I do. I do. So. Well, that's what the end of the year is all about is, uh, setting, setting high hopes for the next year and then very quickly failing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2021 will get kicked off and right away I'll screw it up somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need, I need to write those things down now and put them like on my computer or something like a sticky note on my computer. So I'm it's seeing true. them every day. So it's, I don't true. let myself fail on them. Yep. That's a very good point, man. All right. Well, uh, yeah. let's, let's wrap this up so people can get to their, uh, new year's Eve festivities and, uh, send the year out hopefully on a really high note. Um, it's good to end the year with you, buddy. It was good to begin it. It's good yeah. to end it. Yep. And, uh, well, and let's, uh, let's hope 2021 is, uh, better for a, a number of reasons for, for everyone. So ho- hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get the year started off good. I 100% agree with that. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop 
for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. All right, and now we're going to hop over to my conversation with Luke Torkelson over at Weatherby talking late-season firearms. All right, with me now on the line is Luke Torkelson. Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here, Mark. Ah, I'm glad you are too. This is uh, this is that time of year when a lot of people are are busting out the the rifle or shotgun or whatever it might be in their state and area and heading out for some fun late season hunts. You know, around the holidays. I know for me, this is my favorite time of year to to fill doe tags. So it, it seemed like we really needed to get an expert on that kind of stuff on here. So so thanks for making this happen so close to the holidays too. I know it's a busy time of year for you. It is a busy time of year. It's a, it's a crazy busy time generally for the firearms industry, but um, especially in this crazy year of 2020. So I'm happy to be on with you though. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. So real quick, before we dive into some of the kind of the, the information piece of this, can you just give us a little background as far as your story, you know, how you got to doing what you're doing within the firearm industry and, and what exactly you do now today? Yeah. Great question. I'm probably start with where I'm at and work backwards a little bit, but, um, I'm the vice president of sales, marketing and product development. And that also entails customer service here at Weatherby. And, um, I've been here about two and a half years. Um, we're fo- super fortunate to get to move to the great state of Sheridan, Wyoming. Um, if, if you don't know um, whether we moved to Sheridan, uh, they announced their move at the beginning of 2018. Um, I was one of the first part of the new team hired, and we built a new team here in Sheridan from about 18 team members that moved with the company from California to Sheridan. And we're about a hundred strong now. And, uh, man, it's been a, a crazy wild ride, but, um, my foray into the outdoor industry started, uh, quite a few years ago, um, with Coleman, the outdoor company. Um, I came up through the product management, product development side of things and originally was in the construction products industry. And I just always loved being outside. I actually didn't grow up hunting, I uh, just always had been a gearhead. Um, I grew up outside in college. I was a whitewater rafting guide and just loved being outdoors. And really hunting uh, became more of a, a passion just to spend more time outside. Really decided I wanted to work in an industry where I was able to play. And uh, I got into Coleman, the outdoor company, went from Coleman to Bear Archery, uh, Bear Archery to Walther Arms, and now uh, Walter to Weatherby and, uh, man, I feel like I've, I'm home here in Wyoming and with Weatherby, it's been awesome. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, at least from everything I've seen in social media, you have uh, made up for lost time when it comes to hunting with a whole lot of pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> awesome hunting adventures. It looks like over recent years, huh? Uh, I, I have, I, I've been crazy fortunate this year has been one for the record books for me personally. I've never been to Alaska before. And got to go twice this year. Got to do a DIY caribou hunt up on the North Slope. And then went back uh, a month later on a moose hunt. um, And was able to score both times. And just, 
Yeah, and it just that was getting just getting started for the season. Able to fill pretty much all my tags in Wyoming this year, and and a couple other states as well. So no complaints this year, that's for sure. Yeah, the the, the hunting uh, for for those of us who had good seasons, it made up for a, a weird 2020 in a lot of other ways. So, uh, what about the uh, what about the whitetail side of things out there by you guys? I know um, I know that there's actually some pretty good deer in that neck of the woods. Isn't that the case? Yeah, maybe not compared to some of the Midwest whitetails, but um, I think that there are some pretty good deer here. I think the best deer shot this year that, that we know about, I actually just got the Wyoming um, Outfitters Journal yesterday, and I believe the best whitetail shot in the state this year was like a 170. Nice. It's um, a good buck. <laughs> a great buck. I'd be thrilled to to shoot a 170 as most would. Um, but right here where we're at in Sheridan, um, if you, if you see a 150, you better, you better be pumped to pull the trigger right away. Um, we've got, we're, we're right on the edge of whitetails really being a problem here, uh, because of the mule deer population. That's why everybody wants to see thrive. And as you know, the whitetail are quite a bit more aggressive and prolific than the mule deer. And so we've got, we've got some, private land here that if you drive out on some roads any given evening you, you could see it's it's not an overestimate to say you could see thousands of whitetail deer in an evening on a field like it's it's ridiculous so um, we've kind of got a an issue with private land versus public land and access uh and and how that all works out but man there's there's tons of deer there's almost too many whitetails it's it's becoming an issue for sure cwd uh, is creeping in too and it's it's problematic yeah, that's a good point. I was about to make light of it and talk about how I wouldn't mind that that many deer, but but you're right. For in a more serious note, that uh, that yes, there are some serious management disease implications. So, uh, I guess the the point being that I probably need to go there and help out and try to call some of that population. <laughs> no doubt, the, the buck hunting can be a little bit tricky because they like to hang out in the flatter areas for whitetail anyway, where where it's a lot of private land. But after uh, buck season's over, it's pretty easy to get permission if you're just on a meat hunt and want to go shoot some does. And it's pretty easy to get access for 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 doe patrol. <laughs> yeah, which is a uh, which is a whole lot of fun. That's that's exactly what I'm on right now here in Michigan. It's doe patrol and and put my first one down a couple nights ago. And, right. and I guess it's it's got me thinking about this whole topic that I want to bring up with you, which was late season firearm hunting. Um, you know, I've, I've, yeah. I've done it with rifles and muzzleloaders and shotguns and everything in between. And regardless, it just seems like things seem to go haywire on occasion when stuff's really cold or when it's, you know, just inclement weather, snow, wind, mm-hmm. frigid temperatures. It just seems like these variables can, can throw off a hunt and nobody wants this thing they've worked all year towards to then get botched because of some weird equipment issue or something they hadn't thought about as far as how weather or or whatever could impact things. So I was just kind of curious if this is something that you or anyone at Weatherby has, you know, spent some time thinking about as far as special considerations to think about at this time of the year, whether it be in that, you know, zero degree weather or whether it be in really windy blizzards or anything that jumps to mind that you guys think about as far as that kind of situation when you're out there with a gun? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So I, I think there's actually two parts to it. There's um, in the field and then after. And I think they're they're both important. Um, 
especially after if you're in um, wind driven rain or or um, heavy snow you're potentially going to get water into places in your in your rifle that it's not been before and it's going to require a lot more uh, meticulous cleaning even if it's a Cerakoted, you know, we we're like, man, Cerakote's great corrosion protection. But man, even when you're applying Cerakote at the manufacturing level, it is it can be tough to get it in the smallest nooks and cranny inside the trigger group and all that. And when you start getting forced elements in there where they don't belong, and you you put a gun away, or even worse, you you leave it in a soft gun bag like in your car for a couple weeks, um, you're asking for some corrosion problems. In the field, um, I think that just taking an extra level of precaution around how you're carrying your gun um, goes a really long way. Uh, we do a lot of backcountry hunting here in Wyoming in the Midwest. That might look a little different, but um, man, just trying to cover up as much as you can. Most people want to cover their scope, obviously, but if you can cover up the action area and and your trigger i mean where the trigger shoe comes out of the action there's generally a pretty big gap in every rifle on the market um, and if you get junk in there even just moisture you may not have the desired effect or the normal trigger feel that you're used to um, I, I had one freeze up on me a couple years ago where i was crossing a creek and I kind of took a stumble and splashed some water up, didn't think anything of it, but then that water froze and actually didn't get up in my trigger group, but just like the way I was holding the rifle, the water hit the trigger. It's just like perfectly unfortunate, but the drip, imagine the rifle being vertical and the water dripping off the back of the trigger and it, it like blocked, it froze and then blocked the trigger from being able to pull back far enough to actually break the sear. And so it almost rendered the rifle inert. And so you just got to be extra careful, I think, on how you're carrying your gun is really important. Hmm. What about the uh, the muzzle, the opening at the end of the barrel itself? Mm-hmm. A lot of people will put tape over the end of the muzzle. Is that something that yep. you think is worth doing? Or is there any worry with how that might impact anything downrange? I am a big fan of covering the muzzle. Um, I, I think it should be done. I do it no matter the weather. Again, backcountry hunting, whether it's pine needles or whatever else that might get in there. But if you get moisture in there, water water doesn't compress. So if you get enough moisture inside the barrel, you, you it could get dangerous, number one. Uh, but number two, even if it's not an actual safety concern, um, it could affect how your bullet's traveling. And so keeping, keeping your bore free of obstruction is, is, I think it's paramount. So speaking about, you know, shooting in those situations, so keeping them clean, that makes sense. Keeping anything from getting down there. What about the impact of cold temperatures on ballistics or the impact on a bullet? I've read, I don't know much about this stuff myself, but I've read and seen some things about how, ultra cold weather supposedly can have some impacts on that. Is that something that your average hunter needs to think about when it comes to this kind of thing? I think every rifle is a little different. Um, how, how your gun reacts to temperature is, is probably best not left to chance, right? So it may not be possible 
But if it is possible, I, I think it's a great idea to experiment in different temperatures. Um, if, if, a, if a massive cold front first one of the season is moving through and you haven't had a chance to go mess with your particular rifle, um, I, I think you need to be aware of your shot distance. I think out to 100 yards, you're probably not going to see a massive variation. But if you're talking about shots from 100 to 300 and beyond, then I think you really need to understand what, what's happening with your particular firearm. Um, even gun to gun, same model, you could see a slight variation. Every, every barrel is different. There's a lot of science behind it, but I like to say there's a lot of voodoo too. And um, <laughs> I don't think even the best ballistic expert can understand the exact voodoo, why one barrel that's come off the exact same production line, the exact same rifling, everything's the same, may, may react completely different. It's wild. So if given the opportunity to um, shoot or, or test your, your weapon in a sub-zero environment, it's not fun, but head to the range if you can to just see what's happening. Um, I, think it's, I think it's wise to do that, especially if you're, you're chasing a big buck and you don't want to leave anything to chance, right? No, no, you don't. <laughs> you definitely <laughs> don't want that to be the thing that ruins the hunt there at the end. That's for sure. Now, what about another thing that might come up at this time of year, which is, you know, when you get that nasty cold coming through, it's it's usually paired with a storm. So you've got the snow blowing and you've got some significant wind maybe, yeah, but you're a trooper and you're still out there. Uh, mm-hmm. at, what, at what speed wind do you start worrying about wind deflection and or at what distances as far as your target being? Do you worry about that at 150 yards or oh, man. is it close enough? That's a, so... I almost would say that's a how long is a piece of string question, which is like you got it. You need so many more inputs to to solve mm-hmm. that ballistic solution. I mean, are we talking about like a a 350 legend where you're sending a a pretty low BC bullet at a at a at a low uh, velocity? Then you're going to see substantial wind variation versus like a Weatherby if you're shooting our six five three hundred with a high BC 140 grain bullet at almost 3500 feet per second. I would say, yeah, don't, don't worry about wind out to 200 yards, almost no matter what it's blowing. Um, but if you're, if you're using a, a bigger, slower bullet, for sure you can see some deflection um, e- even at 100 yards. Hopefully not enough that it's going to uh, affect hitting the kill zone at 100 yards. But, um, man, anything's possible depending on how stiff that wind is. And really the ballistic coefficient of the bullet and – and the velocity, I think, are the two most important factors there. So, so really, knowing your rifle and knowing your what you're what you're putting through it, and exactly how it's going to react. I mean, like you said, so much of this comes down to the specifics. That something that I'm guilty of sometimes is is wanting to stick to simple and right. and not dive into the details when it comes to firearms, though, and, and really getting the very most out of out of your cartridge and your and your rifle. That's you need you really should go deep into it yeah i i am not a professional sniper by any stretch of the imagination um but i i i do recommend to people that i think it's good to to train or practice at at nearly double the distance that you're comfortable harvesting an animal at so if if you're only going to feel comfortable shooting to 300 yards 
I want to be, or have uh, the guy I'm hunting with, I want them shooting at 600 and understanding what, what their gun's doing at 600 yards, because it just completely increases the confidence that you're going to have at 300. Yeah. Yeah. That makes this makes a lot of sense. And same, same principle, same theory applies to bow hunting. Lots of times, right? You, if you want to shoot a deer at 40 yards, you better be practicing at 60, 70, 80 yards. And then that 40 yard shot is a piece of cake. Absolutely. That's so, exactly that's a, the same. Obviously mag- magnified greatly by, by archery, but yeah, exactly the same principle for sure. Yeah. That, that training and, and pushing yourself in training, just it's, it's never a bad idea. It's never, mm-hmm. it's never going to hurt you in the long run. For um, sure. Okay. So, so cold temperatures and wind certainly can impact you depending on your setup, even when you're hunting in whitetail country, shooting a hundred yard shots or 200 yard shots. But what you alluded to this in the beginning, but a lot of a lot of making sure your, your gears and working order is taking care of it afterwards. Um, you mentioned, you know, don't put it in a soft case and leave it in your truck for two weeks or something like that. What yeah. are the what are the things that somebody should do immediately? Like that they they come in from the hunt and before they put it in the truck or the house or the case or whatever, is it is, is it as simple as just just wipe it down with a dry rag, or is there anything else on their do this immediately checklist when they're coming in after a cold, snowy day? Yeah, uh, definitely. It, it it depends on the rifle again. If if it's a stainless steel rifle, or if it's terracoated, or if it's carbon steel that's been blued, um, it, it all looks a little bit differently, but. I think at the core, it depends on the conditions. If you were out and it was um, windy and any form of moisture, snow or, or rain, you need to get the, uh, the bolt out and do your absolute best to, at a minimum, clean throughout that action the best that you can and apply some oil so that there's some protection there. Uh, I like to leave mine out for a little while before I do that so that any moisture that was in there can dry a little bit. Um, and then go through the cleaning process. You're not going to get a lot of oxidation in just a few minutes. We're in a super dry climate here in Wyoming, so keep that in mind. If you're down in Louisiana and you're like 98% humidity, it's probably not going to dry, and you need to you need to take a little extra steps to get every bit of water out of that action area that you can. I mean, the way that the lugs of every rifle are going to fit with the, the mating lugs with the uh, barrel or the action, you have got to make sure that you get all the water out of there or you're going to run into problems down the road. Um, and then the bore, I think, is super important. If you hadn't protected the muzzle end and you get any moisture down there, even on most Cerakoted rifles, there's still going to be a carbon steel barrel. There's no Cerakote inside the actual bore of the rifle. You need to be running some rods through there uh, with with a patch with that's got some protective oil on there, or you're going to build up some, some corrosion that's going to affect your bullet performance down the road. Uh, putting the gun away dry is critical. If you don't do that, you're asking yourself for problems. Yeah. Now, what about going from different temperature zones? So mm-hmm. by that, I mean, you're outside hunting, and it's freezing cold. And mm-hmm. then what if you were to bring it inside the house where it's warm and then I, 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 you worry about condensation and stuff like that. Do you recommend anything around that? Should you leave it outside for a while? Should you bring it in and then wait an hour and then dry off and everything like that? Is that something you guys think about? I, I like to bring my gun inside and then, you know, take care of my other stuff first, um, whether if there's meat involved or clothes, whatever. Try to get that stuff taken care of. It, it'd be a pretty 
extreme instance that condensation is going to uh, build up on your on your gun like it would on a on your your coke or beer can right uh but if it was in the bed of your truck and it's sub-zero and you come in and it's 70 degrees and you got the fireplace going yeah it's possible especially if it's in a soft case um it seems to we get most of our service calls are on uh, rifles that have been blued that um, get stored in a soft case where they they come back in any bit of moisture just kind of it's like it's like wrapping or wrapping your barrel in a wet rag it's like it just (laughs) It makes it worse. <clears throat> you get these oxidation uh, issues in a beautiful blued rifle. It's, it's brutal. So I said, get it out of the soft case as quick as you can. If there's any way to get some air circulation on it to, to bring it up to kind of room temp, then clean it and then store it. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then I guess the final thing then is we're doing that. We, we've filled our doe tags or our last buck tag. We've put a couple deer in the freezer. The season ends. I know a lot of folks will just shelf the gun. I've been mm-hmm. guilty of this in past years. I shelf it and then I kind of forget about it because I've moved on to all these other things. And yeah. then six months passes by or 10 months passes by. And then it's September and I'm thinking, I got a gun hunt coming up soon. I better get that out. And then I realized that I didn't do my end of year maintenance on it or I didn't do something quite right. And there's, there's some rust or, or something goes wrong. I am guilty of that. I admit it. And I hate myself for that. Right. Um, <laughs> Can you walk me through what the correct postseason process would be as far as cleaning, storage, any maintenance-related thing to make sure that we are doing this 100% right? If So I would just say there's a precursor to this question. If the last shot that you fired hit where you wanted it to hit, then you're confident in your setup. Then, then go through, just like I said before, get everything dried up, cleaned up. And then I'd say apply a pretty liberal amount of oil into the bore of the barrel, run a patch or two through there. So it's got a protective coating, uh, be a little more liberal in that bolt and um, uh, action mating surfaces so that you're good. You can store that thing for years if need be. Now, if you weren't confident in the last trigger pull, if the bullet was like, man, I don't know that that impacted where it was supposed to impact. I recommend you go and get that sorted before you put the gun away for the season, because you don't know you, if you hopefully you remember to, to get your gun out before next season and, and get it dialed again. But I like to put it away with confidence so that if a buddy calls like, man, I'm having a coyote problem. You want to come shoot some coyotes with me? Like, I don't yeah. have to worry about anything. Like I know I'm confident in the condition of the gun when it's put away. Yeah. That's, that's a good forward thinking move that, uh, I will aspire to be uh, on top of it as well as you are, Luke. I, I like that. That's, that's, that's good. Um, okay. So get it all taken care of in that kind of way and then, um, put it in the safe and, and call it good, huh? That's it. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I like to know the condition of every firearm that I've got so that whether we're talking about, uh, when it hits the fan type of moment, or if we're talking about, um, an impromptu hunt or opportunity to go to a shoot that I know with, with beyond a shadow of a doubt that I could pick up any rifle in my safe and it's dialed and ready to roll. And the next time I pull the trigger, I know where that bullet's going to go. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's important. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, it's, it's so in line with almost everything else with deer hunting. It, it comes down to the details and executing on all the little things you know you need to do. And if you pay attention to those little things and you follow through on them, whether it be 
properly taking care of the gun while you're out there in the field or maintaining it afterwards or double checking your zero before the end of the year. All that stuff adds up when, like you alluded to in the beginning, there's a lot of stuff we can't control. So if this is one thing we can, you gotta, you gotta check that box. You, you have to, I think having confidence in your tools, all of them is just so critical. I did one hunt this year um, where I took a gun that I hadn't had a lot of trigger time and I had a good buck just past what I was comfortable with, with that rifle, because I, I, I wasn't a thousand percent confident in my setup. It was, you know, as a, as a marketing side uh, at Weatherby, I get to do some cool events and I was invited on this hunt. I had to take a firearm that I hadn't hunted with yet. And with a round I wasn't familiar with, and I, I got a little bit of range time, but I didn't have it dialed. If I had had a gun I'd been hunting with all season uh, with me, it, I would have shot a better buck than I ended up shooting because I just wasn't confident to pull the trigger at the distance when I encountered a, this, this great whitetail. I still got a good one, but it just, it bothered me so much that I wasn't a thousand percent confident in my setup that um, I was like, I'm not doing it like this again. I've got to make sure that I'm fully confident in the tool that I have because everything else worked out. I could have executed in my shooting ability, but I wasn't confident in my tool and that just irked me to no end. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that one will linger. I know how that is. Um, well, Luke, this is, this is really, this is really helpful stuff and in a perfect way for us to wrap up the year. I think there's, there's a lot of people that'll be putting this kind of stuff into play over the next few weeks. So, so thank you for that. And if people want to either follow along with anything you've got going on or whether be in general, is there anywhere online they can connect or, or learn more? You bet. Um, uh, Weatherby Inc. on Instagram, weatherby.com. Personally, um, Luke Tork on uh, Instagram. And um, yeah, we, we're happy to have people come and follow and, and see what we got going on. I think, I think as Weatherby, we do a pretty good job with a personal uh, connection to the brand. Adam Weatherby um, responds to a ton of our Instagram messages. And if you've got any questions, message us there send us an email to marketing at weatherby.com, whatever we can do, we're, we're, we're accessible and try to respond to everyone. That's awesome. I'll, I'll add in another plug. Uh, Adam was on one of the recent seasons of the Mediator TV show. And my, my two year old has been really into watching Mediator on Netflix over the last yeah. couple months. And yeah. that episode that Adam was on the mule deer hunt is one of his favorites. So we frequently will try to play out that hunt and Adam seeing that buck and going in after him. And, and so my son Everett will go running down the hill and then get his gun, his fake gun up and then say, I see antlers i see antlers so uh awesome. go That's go awesome. watch that one <laughs> that is a good one that was a two-parter too i think if yeah. i remember right and it ends in a yes, pretty crazy in a crazy fashion with a bit of a uh, old-fashioned drive yep yeah they made uh they made for some interesting uh some interesting hunts the uh, it uh always it's always an adventure with steve and yanni and crew so uh it uh okay. it worked out well for them they they put some nice bucks on the ground no doubt. And I, I was pretty fortunate uh, back in October to have Steve and Yanni uh, host them down here in Wyoming on an antelope hunt with uh, a right. surprise, surprise guest, Luke Combs, which was which was an amazing experience. Really cool trip. Yeah, I, I've heard from at least Giannis that that was a, a really good time. Do you, you guys had a, an enjoyable hunt, a successful hunt, it looked like. Yeah, we did. And I believe that'll be on the next uh, next year's 
Netflix episodes, but we, we did. We had a blast. Uh, Luke Combs was awesome. Uh, better than expected. You never know what, what you're going to get with some of those, you know, quote unquote yeah. celebrities, right? But yeah. he was about as normal a guy as you could get um, that has a, a fleet of tour buses. You know what I mean? You're right. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, that could be, you just never quite know where that could go. So uh, I'm glad it worked out. I, I was talking to, I, I remember sitting in the grocery store parking lot, talking to Giannis on the phone just before that hunt. And he expressed the same thing. He's like, I, you know, I hope this works out, but you just... You just uh, you just don't know. Just yeah, don't know. we're we're gonna ride it out and see what happens. It's good time. All right. Well, Luke, I'll I'll let you get back to all the end of year craziness. But thank you again, and uh, I hope one of these days I'll be able to make it out there to Wyoming and and see the see the headquarters and everything because I've heard it's pretty incredible. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome anytime. All right, and that's a wrap. Thank you again for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this one. A little bit of uh, story time, a little bit of info. I like that mix. That's uh, that's usually the kind of mix we try to hit. We just took two different people to do it today. But uh, hope you enjoyed it. Have a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, first couple weeks of the year, whatever it might be. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.